Hello and welcome to Let's Be Honest. I'm Jess and this is the podcast where I talk about life's toughest topics with lots of different brilliant people. Today's episode is called Let's Talk About Autism. I'll be joined by Nikki Guthrie-White as we talk about her journey as a special needs teacher assistant and as a mother whose firstborn is on the autism spectrum. Nikki's beautiful ability to laugh where most would stumble, persevere when some would give up, and stand up when others sit are just some of the reasons why Nikki's perspective of shining the light where there is darkness perfectly aligns with us here at Let's Be Honest. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Hi, Nikki. Welcome to Let's Be Honest. How are you? Hi. I'm a little congested. Yeah. Why do you sound like that? Well, because I'm... (laughs) I like to channel my Phoebe. <laughs> yes, we were just talking about that. Thank you for coming all the way up and being a guest. I have genuinely been looking forward to it because I think you're one of the funniest people I've ever met in my oh, life. Well, thank you. No, I'm have really we known happy. each other now? Six years? Oh my gosh, has it been that long? Yeah, I think we met in 2013. You've... You said you didn't have a good memory. That's pretty darn good. <laughs> that is um, okay. I like to do the, the reverse math. Mm-hmm. Beckett, yeah, he was about... Two, so yeah, he that, was two, and he just turned eight. So that gosh, that is so scary. I know, isn't it terrifying? It is. I did actually think about that with your because you're a mum of two boys. Yes, I did think the other day. I remember meeting your youngest son when he was just a toddler, and yes. now he's like off to school. And oh yeah, he's in he's second been in grade. School. Oh my gosh, I know. And Carter's in fifth grade. Oh. <gasps> my tiny baby is ten. How does that make you feel as a mum? That is time going so quickly. Yes, and no. It's like. You like, like get out of forever. here. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, oh my gosh, it's like he's going to be in sixth grade next year, which wow. here here across the pond yeah. um, is middle school. So, I mean, he's a whole wow. new school next year, a, a whole new world. He's, yeah. he's How is he liking it? Has he transitioned well? It's, well, why? Well, see, I'm going to touch things. It's, it's going right. to the noise. All we were just noises. talking about ASMR, yes. but we won't incorporate that. noises. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, we should tell everyone what we're going to talk about today. The okay. episode is Let's Talk About Autism. And they're all topics on this podcast that people find challenging to talk about. But we're here for the purpose of shining light on quote-unquote taboo subjects. And I can't think of anybody more perfect to just blast through with a shining light going, it's not scary, we're just going to talk about it. I wore one of my favorite shirts. Yeah, can no just one else for, can see it, so for we all, read well, it. That you have to imagine, so... Okay. Everybody imagine it, now laugh. It's a good one, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it says, autism is not a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Running out of bacon is. <laughs> also ignorance, but mostly the bacon. <laughs> mostly the bacon thing. They, mostly the says. bacon thing. Yes. I love that. In fact, I've worn it at so much that there's a hole in it, and I have to make myself a new one. I didn't make this one. This is somebody else's I love that. gem of awesomeness. Well, you are a very crafty lady, so if you had made that I would, or told me you made that, I would have believed you. Okay, I made it. Yeah. <laughs> I came up with it by myself, and I just thought it was really funny. It is. No, I think it's fantastic because it is sometimes a taboo subject, and mm-hmm. I know we'll, like, get into this, but... Yeah. Where this was going, which I have conversational ADD, so I'm a little proud of myself that I just jumped right back into well where we done. were. Well done. You segued you. that really well. Thank you. <laughs> um, my oldest son is on the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. which is the, you know, the new way people don't really say they're autistic. Right. Some people still do, but it's, it's more common it's, to say they're on the spectrum. Yes, to say they're on the spectrum mm-hmm. or in, in my field, we call it AU. Okay. So what does that's, that stand for? Just autism. Okay. This, it's the shortened okay. autism. And I noticed in the last couple of years um, being aware that people don't really give specific diagnosis anymore. They just say they're on the spectrum. Right. So in, I guess, 2015, I'm going to sound like I'm, sound like I know things, mm-hmm. um, but I believe, <laughs> was it 2015? Maybe earlier than that. Um, but the, so you have the, what is it, the MS, MS, so it's the big, that huge medical book that everybody looks in, that okay. doctors all have. Like the medical journal? Yeah, but it's, you know, like everybody gets to, it's the MS something. So there are all these people, hopefully, thousands of people listening, yeah. um, going, <laughs> correcting me in their head right now, going, yes. you're such an idiot. Why um, did Jess get this gal Oh my God, she knows nothing. Um, Just but pretend the fifth, you know. Yes, okay, the MS, the MS5. Mm-hmm. No, um, actually, it is the, whatever the, the acronym, mm-hmm. um, 
it's the fifth version okay. was launched year I get maybe it was like 2013 mm -hmm. it's neither here nor there in the last 10 years right. um, that version was updated and the first one I think was done in the, in the late 70s or the 80s I believe mm. um, so autism before this was all these little categories and it right. and there was also like um, sensory disorders and all these little things mm -hmm. and like the nuances of yes it, so. and and you know we can get into the diagnosis of this and that's the problem was mm -hmm. that in particular um, and the biggest problem was that insurance companies started not counting certain things as autism oh. because it had a different name okay. so they could be like okay we cover autism but we don't cover one of the big ones is um, Asperger's yes so that's, that was the one specifically I was thinking people don't say anymore right some people still do and professionals still do but right. the problem with Asperger's is it became synonymous with like a high-functioning intelligent but maybe sensory issues mm -hmm. um, but the truth the actual definition of what Asperger's is is slightly different okay so people began to think, and, and I even came across this in my own personal life, um, that having a label of Asperger's was not autism. Like autism was, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with you. But Asperger's, well, you're just like, you're like a savant, you know, you're mm. gonna. Like the classic geniuses we all see where. Yeah, you're gonna, you know, okay, you're gonna work at Apple. You're gonna yeah, be at Google and be yeah. one of the funky people who wears yeah. headphones in the meeting, but. Um, but we all tolerate it because you're a genius. Right, yes. and that was labeled as Asperger's, okay. I'm doing air quotes so mm -hmm. you can imagine that too mm -hmm. um i talk with my hands a lot so i'm trying really <laughs> hard not to whack the microphone <laughs> or the desk or whatever um so asperger's was considered this like it's better to have asperger's okay. you know you don't really have autism but the truth is a true asperger's diagnosis one of the things mm -hmm. it's all these little things that people don't even know about um so my son is is on the spectrum mm -hmm. he is very high functioning at this point um you know we've had a journey since initial diagnosis yeah. and how um, old is he now 13 no he's 10 <laughs> okay so I know you're no. so well <laughs> when he's 13 that's when I won't be able to make the jokes that right now he doesn't get the innuendos yet I'm all, I'm very close to screwed yeah. <laughs> um right now they still some of them go over his head although more and more I'll say something and he's like mom and I'm like oh my what do gosh. you know about that you are so funny like but that's when I realized when I was substitute teaching oh I was like God. I realized fifth grade was the cutoff. I could not do fifth grade because I'd mm -hmm. giggle about something somebody would say, and like three or four of the students would too, and then we'd like make eye contact and all like look away. You're you know? so funny. My, one of my favorite things about you because we I've had many moments of just like not being able to breathe, laughing at you and with you as well. <laughs> <laughs> but you just have no shame. You just yeah, I but, don't have a filter that freaks some people out. But I think it's brilliant because the the pro to that is that you just don't have any shame and like also you're like I'm not gonna not talk about things and you joke about <laughs> difficult things and you bring a light to it which uh, is that's, great that's some of that you know in your your weight loss one some of that is protection self-protection yes, you know like sure. if you make it funny then then it's not you're so you have control yeah. over yeah, it, yeah, you know. Yeah. So I do make fun of my weight. I make fun of those things. And, yeah. and that freaks some people out. They're yeah. like, oh, my gosh, you know, you shouldn't bring it up all the time. I'm like, well, I do have yeah. – I do feel very uncomfortable about this. So yeah. if I laugh about it, you know, it's that, yeah. that I'm the funny fat friend, you right. know, with, with ankle wrists. <laughs> I have really, really so big bone structure. And somebody no actually shame. told me I have wrists – that are like ankles. I just think that's really rude. Like, it wasn't <laughs> rude. She was me. We had been hanging out, you know. Once you, oh, was she a close friend? And she was just no, joking. no. I, I just also, I have no social boundaries, so I become really close to people very fast. So, I guess she felt comfortable at this point to call my my wrists ankles. Um, but I found it hysterical. Oh I was like, gosh. I do. I have ankle wrists. I mean, it's like you have ankles. no shame, but you also have no shame. Do you know what I mean? When I say that? I love I'm you. Okay with it. I'm okay. It does oh freak some gosh. people out. Oh um, gosh. Okay, so he's not 13. Okay, he's 10. He's but when 10. he is 13, you will have to put a cap on some of your humor. Is I what you're know. saying? No, he's such a sweet, like innocent, sweet him, boy Nikki. that I, I don't want him to ever know those jokes. I, know. I don't think he would. 
admit it if you did. He's, I think you're going to be just shocked. A tender heart. Yeah, you're going to be shocked the day that he comes and makes those jokes to you. Oh my gosh! I'm, and you're going to have to smack his little face. No, <laughs> actually, I'm probably going to die laughing on the inside. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Shame. Yeah. So um, in addition to okay. having a, a son who's on the autism spectrum, mm. you're also a special needs teacher. And I'm you have a special a... needs paraprofessional. Okay. So it's a slightly different thing. Okay. Um, well, they make twice as much as me. Um, no. Yeah, I know, right? No, they do They do twice as much work as me. Yeah. So I'm in a classroom. Um, I'm specifically, I'm a mid-mod or MOID special education paraprofessional. Okay. So... MOID room is a, or MID, MOD. They're mm-hmm. acronyms up the, up the wazoo. Up the wazoo. Um, hey, look, that's that's in both England and and America. You can yeah. say up the wazoo. That's we cool. know what that means. Well, I know you know what it means, but yeah. you. Use I mean, you're it. always assuming we don't know what you guys mean. Well, I'm mean, assuming. <laughs> I don't wear bangles, and even if I didn't have man ankle wrists, I still couldn't because none of them. Yeah, I could wear true. anklets. I've never thought about that. Would you have skinny um, ankles and massive wrists? No, but I could wear anklets on my wrists. <laughs> <laughs> and call it a bracelet or a bangle. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay. Anyway, yes. So um, it's moderate to mild intellectual disability. Okay. So basically to get in the classroom that I work in um, is a certain IQ below what would be a typical student. Okay. Um, then the, the next classification down would be SIDPID, which is severe to profound intellectual disabilities. Okay. So lots of diagnosis can go into the MOID or the mid-mod room. Mm-hmm. Um, you could get some autism, mm-hmm. which in in the school speak would be called AU, but there are also, depending on the school system and, and how the counties are made up, there are also AU rooms. Okay. Um, but in our room, we do have some autism because you can have multiple diagnoses. Mm-hmm. So, is you know. the whole school designated for people with special needs? No, nope. this is a typical oh, school. This is okay. where both of my kids go. Okay. Um, depending on the the need in the county and the size of the county and the mm-hmm. size of how many kids need to be in these rooms, they will also then put them in different schools. Okay. We're a really huge school. Okay. We have like 1,300 students. It's a yeah. big elementary school. Um, and we had the, the room and we're in a good location. So we end up, on, in our school, we have a SIDPID room, we have a mid-mod room, mm-hmm. and we have two EBD rooms, which are emotional behavioral disability, okay. which falls into the same special education. Mm-hmm. Um, and that room can be anything from just just having rage issues to mm-hmm. bipolar, um, anything that then causes some emotional or behavioral that are significant enough to need interventions. Okay. So in that case, we have um, kindergarten through second and then a third through fifth. Wow. Now my mid-mod room mm-hmm. and the SIDPID are K through five, which okay. is a huge range. And then being mild to moderate is also a huge range of, of abilities. Mm-hmm. So Remind me again what those classes, like what ages that is? Or that what is... We have five-year-olds all the way up to 10-year-olds. Okay. So, and then abilities ranging from right at the SIDPID level where some are Mm nonverbal, all the way up to kids that just need a little bit of extra intervention, a little bit of extra assistance and support um, more regularly than would be able to be in what we call push-out scenario where they would be in either resource or or a hybrid where they're back and forth. We actually have um, one hybrid student who is AU, mm-hmm. or is believed to be AU, you know. Well, we can come back around to so to what autism about. is. I was um, say, how do people get diagnosed? Yeah, well, well, so this goes back to the conversation we were having about Asperger's and all that. Mm-hmm. So what happened in the MSD, I think it's MSD. It just clicked for you. Or, sorry. No, no, oh. no, I meant the thing, oh. the thought oh. clicked for you. Is, are you talking about the, the Yes, yes, journal? I thought I hit the something. Okay. I hit something. I was like, I'm sorry, I clicked. You're used to getting told off. I see you as <laughs> so, like... <laughs> I, especially when I get to talking, I, yeah. I get kind of in my own world. It's okay. Um, so, I think it's an MSD. Five. I think that is it, actually. What, okay. What's the um, Chinese food... Thing MSG. Is the, MSG. So, okay, MSD, then, I think, is... is it's not the addictive... <laughs> um, 
seasoning. Is that, is that why I love Chinese food so much? Actually, yes. It's an addictive. The seasoning it's addictive. has an addictive. Yes, that's why some people. That's what you'll see, like no MSG and like. There's nothing wrong. In some, for a long time, people thought it was like a cancer-causing agent, but mm-hmm. isn't everything. Um, so it might be. Yeah. But yes, it has an addictive quality, and that is why. Particularly, it's used in a lot of Asian cuisine. It can be used in anything. They say that cheese is just as addictive as heroin. That's because it's delicious. I, say, I, I, would, I would tend to agree with that. Yeah. I can't not have the cheese if it's there. That's true. Anyway, we're getting off subject. Okay, yeah. Sorry, now I'm thinking about cheese yeah. and Chinese food, which <laughs> typically don't go together. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, I have noticed that. So cream cheese, that is in some Chinese. Anyway, so autism. Um, so, yeah. so what happened is... In order to to have insurance, not to be able to come back and be like, oh, well, they're Asperger's, oh, were their sensory disorder, um, they just collapsed the, um, made it one big umbrella. Mm. All of it is autism spectrum. Mm. And you're either, you can be high functioning, you can be low functioning, you can be moderately functional, and yeah. that's that's that. Um, the second problem with having all these little, little, tiny categories in there is people's perceptions of that. I was going to say, do you think that having there just is, an umbrella helps to not have so much stigma or shame around, well, this is your diagnosis and this is yours? It's just like... Well, it's definitely, it's hoping to change that, right. that whole stigma because I know um, that with a lot of people and with, with my son, people will be like, oh, well, he has Asperger's. And I'm like, actually, mm. one of the one of the diagnostic tools that determines if it's Asperger's or mm-hmm. or not um, is having language as at, at a young age and then losing it. Mm-hmm. So oh, with really? Carter, he just was language delayed. Mm-hmm. He never had it and then lost it. So he actually would not fall into Asperger's. Excuse me. Everything else about his diagnosis would. Right. But people will fight me on it. They'll be like, oh, no, are, are you sure it's not Asperger's? Are you sure? Because there's there's the stigma that that's, like, a better thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, you, you don't need to call it autism. You can just call it Asperger's. Like it's autism. Like there's some shame around one yeah, thing. Yeah, like autism's a bad word, and Asperger's is, is like you said, it's the More accepted. the genius, the, right. you know. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't have Asperger's. Yeah. He never did. I'm surprised people would fight you as a very educated, aware mother on on that specific thing. Well, I mean, people still cling to the Asperger's thing. They'll right. be like, "Oh, he doesn't have as- autism; he has Asperger's." Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it is the stigma. It's, and I think some people, especially maybe if their kids have mm-hmm. autism and yeah. are diagnosed as Asperger's, it might be a, a pr- self protection of like, "See, it's not so bad." Right. Yeah. Um, I was surprised once I got into this whole with with my own child, um, which was my first experience with with autism and special needs. I mean, I would, it's not my first experience. We had a family friend who who had Asperger's, mm-hmm. um, so I was aware of it, but I I didn't know a whole lot mm-hmm. about it. It is relatively recent, and I in my kids' lifetime that it has become so well known yeah. and and accepted and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but with all of that, um, it wasn't until I, I worked in education. Well, I worked, I worked at Zoo Atlanta um, That's such a for cool 12 job. years, and I worked in the education department. Yeah. And so we definitely would, we would have special classes mm-hmm. on. So we'd have all these kids and students come yeah. to the school or come to come to the zoo on school trips and summer summer camp so we we were trained and were very aware of these things yeah I then went on to work at simultaneously I worked at Yerkes primate research facility which is through Emory University and I worked in their behavioral research department and with that is a lot of sister studies with cognition and Mm -hmm. specifically eye tracking which is a tool in helping diagnose an early intervention of autism. And this isn't, did you say primates? Mm-hmm. So that, you were doing the study in the animals? We were doing it in animals. Wow, that's I know, amazing. it's like everything, well, and, and that actually is how I was, with, with Carter. That's how I didn't say monkeys, because you would have yelled at me. Well, I did specifically work with monkeys there. Right, but remember the time I called like a chimpanzee a monkey Because those are not monkeys. <laughs> I got a right primates. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
I will just stop here now and say yes, orangutans, gorillas, those are all apes. Orangutan, there's no G on the end. See, I'm going to get it out of the way now so yeah, I don't have to yell us. in it later. Mm-hmm. Um, gorillas, bonobos, which is a different thing than a chimpanzee. Look it up. Um, those are all great apes. Those are not monkeys. And if you're ever not sure, you need to look at their little hineys because monkeys have tails and apes don't. Okay, I'm done. <gasps> That's a really great way yes. to... Okay, I'm going to remember that. Yes, look okay. at their butts. Even if it's a tiny tail, yeah, it makes it a monkey because mm-hmm. it's not size because gibbons... Or, or, I'm sorry. Um, gibbons and siamongs are apes, but mm-hmm. they're small where you can have baboons, and right. see I'm mixing words now, yeah. that have tiny little tails, but they're still monkeys, oh. and they are they can be quite large. So That's really cool. Right. Fun fact of the day. Yay. Monkeys There's a quiz have later. Tails, apes have, don't have tails. Yes. Okay. And then, of course, in the primates, you also have the prosimians, which do have tails, but they're not monkeys. They're That'd be like lemurs, but that's another... I'll come back for that conversation. Let's talk about primates. We're Let's talk, I, I could talk all day about primates. Oh, I could also get on my white tiger um, soapbox. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that could be a whole nother. Let's, let's be honest. It, let's bring it back to what we okay. were Okay, back around. So, so with that, a lot of behavioral research. Yeah. Um, with Carter, he was a preemie. He was actually six weeks early. Oh. And he spent 10 days in the NICU. Mm-hmm. Um, he was huge. So what did he weigh? He weighed six pounds thirteen ounces, as a. I was gonna say that's not big, but as a preemie, as a that's preemie, yeah. that's huge. Right. Um, had he gone, to, that's some babies are born full term at that. So what do you think he would have weighed if he was full term? They said he'd easily be a nine to ten pounder. Which Alex, my little brother, was he was a ten pounder. Um, I was only eight eight, which oh. is still a big. I was or tiny. Eight, seven. I was like six something. Yeah. See, and so at. So I was NICU shamed. All the other moms would be like, so he's in the NICU, and I'm. And then they'd be like, oh, my baby was six weeks early. Oh, my baby was, you know, eight weeks early. And they'd be like, oh, my baby's finally at two pounds. Oh, mine's three pounds. And I'd be like, six thirteen, And they'd look at me like I had done something wrong. Oh. I'm like, I'm sorry. Women are such shy sisters to each other sometimes, Well, I get it. You know, you're all trying to bond over your, like, struggle. Yeah. I'm like, but he can't breathe. It counts. It still counts. Oh, my gosh. Um. So he was a big guy to start mm-hmm. with. But then developmentally, everything was subtract six weeks. So, mm. you know, walking, you're supposed to count those milestones. But six weeks doesn't seem like that much time to have to count. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't say, okay, my baby's this week's Well, old. it does that. It, really? Everything is by weeks. So okay. at by... Well, I guess not being a mother, I'm yeah. not conscious of counting it by weeks. Well, when you're, you have an infant, up until gosh, about two years old, Mm -hmm. everything is by six weeks, they should be doing this. By seven weeks, they should be doing this. By 10 weeks, they're doing this. So it really is by like almost a week by week thing. Developmental changes. So then the doctors, you know, and and full term can, is considered three weeks early and after. Mm -hmm. So you know, three weeks, that's not so much. But when you get into six weeks, you're, that, that's a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm. So if you're supposed to be walking by, mm-hmm. you know. Do you think there's any correlation between being premature and being on the autism spectrum? There's a lot of research that does suggest there's a higher number of diagnosed um, autism cases in premature babies. Because they're missing that crucial developmental time in utero. Who knows? That would make Actually, sense, I mean that is a very that is very um, astute <laughs> and definitely one of the things in consideration. Mm-hmm. The problem with anything that you say is you have to be able to prove it sure. to be scientifically science. factual. Yes. And a lot of stuff with with cognitive mm-hmm. abilities that are even difficult to even measure. Mm-hmm. And if there's not a genetic link or something that you can say, okay, this is every single time right there's so many factors that but yeah. there is a large number of autism cases there is a link with with prematurity mm. so that is a thing so with with Carter it was like so subtract you know he wasn't walking quite at the same time mm. on with all of this happening though mm. he's gigantic right were you aware so, when he was born that he autism no no it wasn't till I want to say at about 18 months is when I really started to see we just weren't quite catching up on certain things um and this is your first baby so it is you're Um, learning too I'm learning but 
I had the benefit of having a brother 12 years younger than me. Mm. So it, I sometimes I call him my starter baby because it definitely wasn't being a parent. Right. But I got a very, being, you know, 12 when he was born, I was in middle school. Yeah. I got to see how how this goes, yeah. right? I in and I was very, very close to him, and we, my older brother and I played a very active role in mm-hmm. in his in his rearing. We we helped rear him. He's turned out all right, so you did well. I think he's a keeper. Yeah, he's pretty good. I like him. Um, I like to take some, you know, little part of of, mm-hmm. of credit in his successes and be like, see, look I what I did. That. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't say a quarter of it, but, you know, because really the parents get the majority, but I'll take an eighth of the credit. That's fine. I'll let my older brother and I share a quarter. Yeah. Right? I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, So, (laughs) you know, I was already aware of a lot of those things. It is different when you have your own. But I was was very aware of them. And then with the research that we were doing, I was even more aware. Really one of the biggest things was... One of my best friends, her son was nine months younger. Mm-hmm. And we would hang out, and I'd see her son doing, it, it was more not doing things, but understanding things at a totally different level than my son was. Mm-hmm. Um, who was nine months older than Who was this nine child. months older. So he was definitely language delayed. We weren't, he never, he didn't call me mama. Mm-hmm. He would say like juice. There was a lot of pointing. Um, Georgia has a, program called babies can't wait and it's if there's any concern developmental physical concern mm-hmm. um that would affect education you go to babies can't wait and they do testing and they help determine do they need any extra stuff and then it's covered by the state yeah. so he didn't qualify for autism he didn't qualify for anything except a language delay mm-hmm. and in that case um they actually sent a speech pathologist to my house twice a week for 30 minutes to help him Wow! and it was actually her that we got to about gosh he was about two and a half years old Mm -hmm. and he was just we had put him in preschool because she was like that can really help maybe being around peers is going to to help him get more conversational and instead of doing that it became more glaringly obvious there was something that just wasn't typical right which is the nice way to say, you know, not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, that because what is normal, right? Right. But it wasn't <clears throat> typical, and it was, and this is what we saw with with my best friend's son. So he would get in trouble, and she would say, "Go stand on timeout," and he would go stand facing the wall. He didn't want to, and he'd try to get off timeout. She'd say, "No, go do it." But you could see, and this is somebody nine months younger. You could see that he understood the cause and effect, the consequence. Mm-hmm for the action and that even if he didn't want to do it he was then learning okay now I don't do that again right Carter just wasn't right and it wasn't a lack you know we got a lot of oh you just have to make him you have to do this it wasn't that he was bad or that he was stupid or 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 a brat it just it wasn't clicking right and to the point where we would he wouldn't eat and we would sit him down and in his high chair and we would make him sit there until he would say, you know, all done or whatever. And he just never would. He would cry and cry and cry until he would fall asleep. You know, it seemed like stubbornness, but mm. he, it was not, it wasn't clicking. You could tell. And his teachers came to us and said, he has different rules than all the other kids at the school because it is obvious that he doesn't understand you can't do this here. Again, not because he's bad or because he's, you know, doesn't get rules. Yeah. He, his brain was not getting mm-hmm. this. Now you have the consequence of this. Yeah, it's a different, it seems like it's a different system. It's like a different brain. Right. Yeah, his brain just was not doing that. Yeah. And that's when his speech, speech pathologist said, you need to take him mm-hmm. to a pediatric um, developmental pediatrician. And they said, Nikki they're going to come back and tell you he has autism. And I said, well, Nicole, why would why would they say that? And she goes, because he has autism. Mm. And I said, well, that's a good reason to tell me that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it, was that feeling like for you as a mother? Well, actually, just I kind of relived on it. It's, 
it's it's a blow. It's you mm-hmm. want the best for your kid. You yeah. don't want them to have anything that's going to make their lives more challenging than yeah. childhood already is. Sure. And it's you hear that you want them to be normal. You yeah. want and it it is. It's like it's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. It's kind of devastating. And so like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. I can do this. Mm-hmm. I can we can do this. So I like the night after that, or maybe I just made a appointment at the Marcus Autism Center, which is like, you know, world renowned, very, very good. It happens to be in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Oh, see, and now I'm getting stuffy because I'm getting a little, getting a little flaclumped. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now I get to snort. Um, yeah, you can snort. Okay, thank you. So um, we took him there, and or we had made an appointment, and they're like, okay, well, he can come in, and we will do. Uh, initial assessment and then we'll schedule times to do all these different evaluations mm-hmm. which each one of course is its own appointment and then and they're booking like and then you have to wait for the results and then do the next one and we're talking this could take a year wow if not more yeah. to get all of these things in and I happen to be at one of my my good friends baby showers another one of my best friends um, who all worked with me at the zoo she also happened to work at Yerkes Primate Research Facility. Um, and I was sitting there talking to one of her friends who, come to think of it at the time when we were sitting there, I didn't know what she did. I knew they ran together. We were on a kickball team together. We all, they lived in Atlanta. And I was telling her just, oh my gosh, this just happened. I'm so, you know, stressed out about it. And she goes, Nikki, do you not know what I do? And I was like, I don't know what you do do I'm a horrible human (laughs) and she's like I'm in autism research wow I she's like I work at Marcus um it wasn't through Marcus but they worked with them um Mm -hmm. I do eye tracking and for early early intervention diagnosis research she's like do you you know he's almost three which our study starts at three or ends at three or anyway we're right there in the line she's like um let me see if I, I can get him into that. And I was like, oh, that would be wonderful. And she's like, yeah, if you don't mind, you'll come in, spend like three full days with us. Um, but we'll compensate you for your time, and we'll just do the entire panel. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. So you're going to get a year's worth of diagnostic testing done wow. in three days, and you're going to pay me? Yeah. Funny how the universe works. Yeah, let's go it? ahead and do that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say yes. I'm, I'm gonna go with yes. Hang on, yeah. let me think about it. Yeah. Um, wow, that's amazing. So yeah, that was a big old yes. Yeah. Um, came back and they diagnosed him as moderate, mm-hmm. moderate autism. Um, and with that, they said, you know, if you if you're interested, mm-hmm. um, my my other son was like eight weeks old. Right. And they said Gosh, you were doing all of this with an eight week old. Yes, because well, but that's how. Woman. Well, that's how. Life is. Life is, and that's yep. how parenting is, and, yep. and all of that. And Beckett was just a really chill kid. He was just mm-hmm. happy, easygoing. So, you know, it was the Carter show. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're in there, they're like, you know, we're doing a sibling study mm-hmm. where if you have a child with a diagnosis of autism, we will follow them for three years and see if they end up with autism. Mm-hmm. They're trying to come up with those stats, like how many siblings. Right. Um, the statistics are that siblings are more likely to have autism mm-hmm. if there's already a member of the family with really? it. Really? Is that nature versus nurture or they're predisposed to well, have it? That's what they're trying to figure out. Yeah. So because there is not a genetic marker, they're trying to figure out, is this hereditary? Mm-hmm. The problem is unless you can pick out something to pass down, mm-hmm. you can only go with stats on does this seem more likely? Right. Um, and they're finding this does seem more likely. So then they were trying to do what is called eye tracking. And it's, they go into this little, you know, baby sits in like a little, in a car seat in a dark room. And they have cameras on them where they can see where, and they play a video. Mm-hmm. And it's a video of a woman breaking the fourth wall and she's talking to the camera. So it's as if she's talking to the baby. Mm-hmm. And then they track what on the screen the child is looking at. Are they looking at the face of the woman talking? Then the, something will go off, like a toy will go off in the corner. Are their eyes then going to that that object? Where during this whole thing? 
And then they can later on, once they do all the cognitive testing, if they come up with a autism diagnosis or not, they then look at the results. Where were they looking? Was there a correlation between those who, the children who weren't looking at the face of the adult and an autism diagnosis? And the hope was that they can set up some sort of portable booth, take this into pediatric offices, and as like a eight week old, mm -hmm. can they determine the likelihood mm -hmm. of an autism diagnosis? Do you think that there is pro there are pros to having an early diagnosis versus a in late diagnosis? In my experience and in most of the the research, there is huge advantages to the earlier the earliest you can intervene mm -hmm. the better because a lot of and not all of this is, is science. Some of this is just my experience and my beliefs based on what I've seen and, and understood. Because I then went on to participate in a lot of different research mm -hmm. with the same scientists. Um, and one of them was parental behavioral intervention. Mm -hmm. So half of our group, non-medication mm -hmm. intervention. Okay. So half of the parents, I was pulled for six months. I would go in every week into Marcus, into this, this research group. And half of the group was given a class in behavioral intervention, and the other half, it was a one-on-one -on -one class, um, by, done by PhDs. Mm -hmm. I was given basically a master's class in autism. Wow. I happened to be pulled for that group. Mm -hmm. And then I would go home and, and try to apply what I had learned. Mm -hmm. And then after six months, they would look at the data and say, okay, this group, there was this much improvement in the child's behavior, there was this much improvement with the other mm -hmm. group, and compare with that, and to be honest, I have no idea what the results were ever done with that, but mm -hmm. but it was fascinating, amazingly useful, helpful stuff yeah. that I learned all these things. So I have a lot of it, I've come to my own conclusions on what I believe. Of course, well, when I, you're living in it, you, yeah. you do have that experience. I think it's hereditary. I you know The numbers definitely have exploded in people with autism diagnoses. Right. Do you think that was because there was a lack of diagnoses before or there's more autistic cases? I think it's a combination. Okay. I think now any, we want to be able to categorize things. We want to be able to say, this is because of this and this is why you do this and this is why you do this. And that's just human nature. Yeah. It's why we have yeah. animal phylums and, mm -hmm. and all this stuff, you want to be able to put something in a little thing and, and make sense of it. And make sense of it. And then yeah. there's always the exception and there's exceptions to everything and then we make an, a little new little pocket for that. That's just normal thing. So yes, yeah. if you start to make more pockets for people, they're going to have a label. Yeah. What autism is, is this huge thing. It, it's not a thing, actually. It's, it's a certain combination of behaviors so I, I had somebody who's, um, he was the president, I think, of the Georgia Autism Society, something like that, a big wig in one of the big mm -hmm. autism groups. He said, if you've met one person with autism, then you've met one person with autism. Mm, I love that. Well, it's, that goes for any minority, and I feel like that's the right word to use, like in society. You can't yeah. brush everybody with the same paint. like. Anybody who's marginalized, yeah. if you've had one experience with one person from that group, that doesn't sum up every person in right. the group. And that's the problem with this falling into a medical thing is that, you know, you have diabetes, mm -hmm. you have these things, these traits, you, you have to right. have insulin, you, you these things that you can, you can measure, meta, mm -hmm. you, you know, scientifically measure. Yeah. And the problem with anything that goes into to the brain is it's very difficult to measure those things because yeah. it's an abstract concept. Well, when anything's on a spectrum, mm -hmm. including things like gender, that's the big thing we talk about now is there's not one way to be a woman, there's not one way to be yeah. a man. Gender is uh, a fluid spectrum, and if we're putting autism on a spectrum, there's no one way to be right. autistic. So lots and lots of people have characteristics of autism sure. or, or behavioral traits or personality traits to be diagnosed as on the spectrum mm -hmm. you have to have more than one and it has to be certain combinations so yeah. you have to have language delay and and sensory um, needs things like that so you get a lot with autism they're either super sensitive to sound or super sensitive to light or 
super sensitive to both. Or on the other way around, um, Carter, for instance, he is extremely sensitive to loud noises. Light doesn't bother him at all. What is his reaction to loud noises? He just immediately puts his hands over his ears. Um, like he's instantly overstimulated. Yes, he's way overstimulated by it. And it can get him very upset. Mm. Um, but on the contrary, he's incredibly social. Mm. He wants to be everybody's friends. He's not shy. He's, mm -hmm. He doesn't mind being touched and hugged and all those things, which are considered typical autism things. He's mm -hmm. very atypical when it comes to that. Again, proving the point that not every single person is the same. Exactly. And I've also been told part of that is that nature versus nurture. Mm. He's I'm unbelievably extroverted mm -hmm. and that perhaps that has to do with how he was taught to interact with the world. Mm -hmm. And maybe had that not been mm -hmm. his journey yeah that perhaps he would have been yeah. more if you weren't a tactile social vocal yeah. person maybe he wouldn't be as social tactile you right know, that makes sense that correlation on the flip side he was a proprioceptive seeker so proprioceptive input is when you touch people anything and how your body responds responds to that and and figures everything out okay so if you're proprioceptive seeker you need more feel more more feels to get the input you need so those will be and this doesn't you don't have to have autism to be a proprioceptive seeker or i feel like to, that might be what i am or to avoid proprioceptive does that input. mean i like to touch and be touched yes but if you're yes okay but he was an extreme proprioceptive so where a, a hug works for you mm -hmm. he'd need to slam his whole body into you <laughs> to get the same okay input as a hug okay so you can be you're a proprioceptive seeker but your input is not you, your need for input is is at a, a normal or typical level mm -hmm. where he would so we have this 18 month old who's the size of a two-year-old easily if not a two and a half year old mm -hmm. who is nonverbal or, or very limited verbal and then a proprioceptive seeker so we'd go to play dates and these little stranger girls and little tiny little cute things in the little dresses and instead of going up and just interacting with them he'd go up and he'd body slam them oh my god people don't like that what was that like for you the first oh, time you saw that oh my that? gosh it happened a lot and it was mortifying and the parents reactions was so judgmental mm. and angry because they're seeing this as but a much older kid being aggressive. who's just being aggressive right but really he was delayed in his mm -hmm. social that was him going i want to be close and yes be affectionate but instead he's mowing down these little girls mm. and people it would make them so angry and i'd get yelled at and they'd oh, be like gosh, what is Nikki. wrong with your child and and i i don't know what's wrong with yeah. my child i have no idea why he's doing that mm. i don't know why he's climbing up to the top of something and jumping off and was that before the diagnosis that was before the diagnosis okay. so these were all the red flags it yeah. was like there's something like why is he climbing mm. up i mean he got in trouble in pre-k because he was riding kids down the slide mm. literally riding them mm -hmm. down the slide and of course at that point we have the diagnosis and i wanted him to stay in special needs pre-k mm -hmm. and they were like no least in, you know least restrictive environment and i'm like listen we're i'm just not in any big hurry mm -hmm. to be pushing him out into the real world we can do that later when you yeah. know he's older and, it may, and it's more important mm -hmm. no 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 they had to yeah we made it to october before they kicked him out um because he just he wasn't ready when they what was that time frame you said that he moved out in October. They they kicked him out back to the special needs preschool pre K in October. We made it from August to October. Let's see what you're saying. Before okay. the teacher was like, he can't be in this class anymore. And I'm like, hmm, if only somebody had said, hey, let's not do this. Right. If only it I was had me. had a motherly intuition. It was me. Mm. Um, and yeah, the poor kid. He didn't. Oh, I get to brag on somebody who deserves bragging on in a minute. Okay. Okay. Looking Up until second grade. Is it me? Yes, it's a story about you. <laughs> but I'm going to call you another name, and you're not going to know any of the details. Um, <laughs> so up until till second grade, he didn't spend an entire year in one school. Wow. Because he – Carter has always had one foot in each world. He wasn't special enough to be special, mm. but he wasn't normal enough to be normal. Yeah. So he, he didn't need to be in the special needs sports thing. We put him in that, and they're, like, trying to, like, walk with him bases, and he's like, 
I, I can just run bases. I'm good. Yeah. But if you put him in the typical class, he just, it was too much. It was, the kids were too much. Everything was overstimulating. It was Almost like, like there needed to be a middle ground. Yeah, there needed to be something in there, which would be an autism class. So he was in, they kept putting him in this autism self-contained, which means all the subjects, it's just other kids with autism. So self-contained, mid-mod class, mm -hmm. it's just everybody who's mid-mod. Um, that's, that's the term for it. Mm -hmm. So he kept being in a self-contained classroom and would do so well they would push him out to a gen ed class mm -hmm. and then he would regress. And this happened every single school year from when he started at three years old is when you can start in the school system as preschool, special needs preschool. From three until he was eight years old, seven and a half, he did not spend an entire school year in one school. And being a very social person, this was very, very hard on him. He kept having to lose his friends and yeah. then moving all, a completely different school. None of his neighbors went to school with him. Mm. It was Has a big he deal. vocalized that that was difficult for him? Oh, yeah. He was very, he he was very devastated. He'd mm. be like, but my friends and I love them. And That's like a kid that moves all the time right. it was to different states. Or basically whatever. that, yeah. And then he'd see all the kids in the neighborhood. They'd make their, their play dates at the bus stop. The moms would be like, oh, sure, so-and-so can come over. Mm. We didn't have a bus stop. We had the short bus. Mm -hmm. And it was extremely convenient because I had an infant, and the bus came right up to the front door <laughs> and then dropped him off right in the front. So if Beckett was taking a nap, I didn't have to go to the bus stop. So, see, there's a silver lining to everything. Yeah. Well, you as a person just bring out a silver lining to everything. Oh, I, that's very nice of you to say. I'm not sure that's always true. but I think it is. I'm really tried. interested to know. I always tend to go to the emotional side of things. That's just my makeup as a person. What is it like for you being married, a woman, trying to have her own life and having a child with autism? What were those difficult moments like for you? Did you feel like having a breakdown did you ever lose it of course I did well I myself am bipolar mm -hmm. and so emotions are a big thing with me I'm very emotional and you know with with bipolar I truly believe mine is is chemical and it is I I can track a family history of it that being said you can still have situational triggers sure so yeah I had always wanted to be a mom I'd always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom then I found my career in zoology and decided the only the time, the only reason I would be willing to not be there hands-on, one-on-one with my kids is if it was something that fulfilled me like that. Sure. And then it was worth it because it was showing my, my kids mm -hmm. that they're, you know, you can be a mom and, and do all these things. Yeah. And that just, it wasn't possible. Mm -hmm. I ended up having to work part-time. I couldn't find daycare for him. Mm -hmm. um, it just was, and, and then, you know, I was driving all the way down to Atlanta, which was 34 miles, but in Atlanta traffic would take me an hour and a half. So by the time I paid somebody to watch the kids, I was, it was costing me money to work, but I yeah. still would do it because I needed it you needed a break. in my soul. Yeah. So, but basically I had to give that up because He'd go in, he'd have a bad day at school. I would have to go in. When he was in the gen ed class, um, I would sometimes, at least once a week, but if not two times a week, he'd have a meltdown and I'd have to, mm. they'd have to clear the room and I'd have to come get him. Did you ever at any point have a moment where you went, I wish this wasn't my life and have resentment or did you always Not just... resentment. I re didn't ever resent him. I resented other parents. Right, not understanding and having a judgment. Not even that. I resented their normalness. Mm. I resented that I, it couldn't be easy. I couldn't just send him to camp. Yeah. Uh, he got kicked out of karate camp. It was during the summer. So I couldn't, everyone else like, oh, I put my kid in camp for a week. And, you know, during the week I did all these things and I went to lunch with my friends. I never got to do that. Yeah, if I wanted him life. to be in camp, and that is even up to this summer. Mm. Both boys were in drama camp and it, became overwhelming for them which mm -hmm. Beckett does not have a, a autism diagnosis but he does I I think all of this anything and this is my opinion mm -hmm. um, but anytime we're talking about emotional or, or brain developmental not even development but mm -hmm. I think they're all connected yeah I truly do I and I think it's some people it's they're wired I think I think <laughs> 
atypical brains and, and let's call it weird, which mm-hmm. I, in our family that is not an insult. Mm-hmm. So neither. weird brains, I think that they're all just different manifestations of the same, we're just different. Yeah. Our, and, and I'm gonna say the E word, somebody close your ears if you don't wanna hear it. I think it's an evolutionary step in the brain. <gasps> we are uh, anti-evolution on this show. No, I'm just kidding. We're totally not. Well, then you don't want me to come back for the <laughs> atheism conversation. <laughs> I'll tell you who you don't want. Alex and me in there for <laughs> Alex gets a little passionate. I know he does, but we still love him. Very, very much. Yeah. Um, so back to, I, I resent, you know, so even the summer I, I had to go and it was just too much and I had to either take them out early and luckily I have a wonderful support system and like one day my mom pulled the boys out halfway through camp and took them to lunch and then put them back where I was going with that is is I think we, we think Beckett he has some sort of emotional something yeah being eight it's a little early to be able to say because sure. brain's still developing mm-hmm. I think in my heart it's going to end up being bipolar Hmm. Um, Isn't that interesting how you just have this intuition as a mother? Well, he's very much like me. Mm-hmm. He looks like me. He, he is that normal for bipolar to, to pass it down through? There's genetics? a lot. A lot of people believe that it is genetically. But, but again, something you can't measure. Right. You can't say. Yeah. And that's when it comes to like true science. And science doesn't go off how do you feel or what's your intuition. Right. They want data. You have facts. to be able to say this is passed down. Mm-hmm. They can say it seems to to go in families, there are more cases in families. With all that being said, we definitely have family members mm-hmm. who have either, we can look back and go, oh, for sure they had to be bipolar or depression. Yeah. I can also see clear signs of autism within my family. Mm. Both of my brothers, they both in themselves going through all this have been like, oh my gosh, I wonder if maybe I'm a touch mm-hmm. AU. Um, characteristics they see in themselves like Cameron is extremely good at being out in the public and being around people but he's struggled with that his whole life Mm -hmm. being super shy and like he's uncomfortable and he gets him overwhelmed very easily um Alex sees certain things and he's like oh my gosh this is so weird because I've never so this goes back to why there are so many more people we want to categorize it and I think in the past a lot of the times it would be just there are the a problem child mm-hmm. uh, or they were slow or mm-hmm. they were just quirky and weird yeah. and would get either stuck in the like resource class or stuck in this or that and would never be able to reach their full potential. Yeah. That goes to the second part that I believe. I, I, I believe that it is hereditary. Mm-hmm. And so I think what's happened is so it's just this different way of our brains being wired. Mm-hmm. And it's good at different things. And I heard this awesome analogy once. Um, I read it somewhere that it was some woman talking about her struggle mm-hmm. or her her experience of trying to explain to a gen ed class why her son was different. And she's trying to say, okay, this is he has autism. What is autism? Because what is autism? And so she went into the class and she said, okay, you guys are all blow dryers. What does a blow dryer do? Your brains are all blow dryers. And they said. Uh, dries your hair. She goes, right, it dries your hair. But what does it do? It gets really hot, right? And then it has a little fan and that blows the, the heat out and that's what dries your hair. What's a toaster do? Well, it toasts bread. Okay, but what does it do? Well, it gets really hot. Both of those, my son's brain is a toaster and your brain is a blow dryer. They both do the exact same thing. They both have little coils in them that get really hot to serve a purpose. They both heat up something. You could use a toaster to dry your hair, but it would be really inefficient because it's just not what it's good at doing. It doesn't have that little fan that turns on that blows the hot air. You could toast bread with a blow dryer, but it's the coils aren't close enough and it's just not, it's gonna take a lot longer. Mm-hmm. They're essentially almost the same thing, but they do different different things in the end and they're good at different things mm. which is a kind of an amazing way to, to describe it it's just a, a in my opinion a different evolution mm-hmm. so as since you know the computers and the phones and all this stuff there's been and gaming all of a sudden there's a place for all these weirdos and all mm. these the misfits or the people stupid people you know and air quotes who didn't have any place for their brain to mm be or to work mm-hmm. 
suddenly has a place to work. Yeah. So they now, all the toasters are together and they're, mm. they're toasting things. They are then breeding more toasters. Mm-hmm. And they might be like, they might be, it might be a half toaster, half blow dryer, and then you have a hybrid and you can make toast and blow dry your hair at the same time and that's cool too. Yeah. <laughs> Breakfast and getting ready. Um, so you just zip right through the morning. Exactly. Routine. But that's what I think has happened. So mm-hmm. yes, there's an epidemic and there's a book that supports this that is just I've actually never gotten through the entire book because mm-hmm. it's the first chapter, the foreword that is that's my if I'm feeling sorry for myself and I'm like oh my gosh, my life's so hard and my kids aren't typical and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I read this, this the beginning of this book and I actually have it a book on tape so I'll put it on in the car. And basically it's talking about this guy who was a freelance journalist who did an article for Wired Magazine. Ended up, um, it's called Neurotribes. And he ended up on this, um, on this retreat with all these people from Silicon Valley. And he's like, it was amazing. I suddenly was the, I was the weirdo. Mm. They all knew what each other were talking about. They all understood each other, and they Isn't all got along, and their personalities were all the same. And here I was, this weirdo. Yeah. He's like, and it must be what it must have felt like for them to grow up mm-hmm. and be the only person in the mm-hmm. room the opposite way. And he's right. like, and it was very eye-opening. That's amazing. And the more he delved into it, he wanted to do more interviews, like, mm-hmm. why are you, how'd you get here, where are you? And he said, he kept talking to people who'd say, oh, well, if you come over, just know my daughter has autism, so don't ring the doorbell or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he found that almost all these kids, all these people, they had somebody in their family who had autism. So mm-hmm. he starts asking, oh, I'm diagnosed with autism. And somebody said, oh, that's an epidemic in Silicon Valley. And that's when he looked into it and went, is it an epidemic? Or is this another way for the brain to be? Yeah. And are they just concentrated in this area? Because this is where... It's a pull, yeah. Yeah, it's where they can mm-hmm. thrive. Yeah. Um, does that make it an epidemic or does it make it a superpower? And yeah. so then, and I, whenever I, I get this little bump, then I look at other people with like their little like, you know, football player mm-hmm. kids who are, you know, in, in honors math and they're just so perfect and everything's so wonderful. And I'm like, oh, your kid doesn't have superpowers. That yeah. sucks. That's such a beautiful way of looking at it. And I think in terms of attitudes towards autism, we've had words to describe children in the past that were totally normal at the time that we don't use anymore because it's considered derogatory and those old words which I don't even really want to mention everybody knows what they are they just were all about not understanding and it was just a castaway and a oh this is just a word to describe them put them in a corner and now I feel like with the examples you're talking about of people who are pioneering industries and major leaders and all of these people that aren't afraid to stand up and say I have a huge role to play in this world and in society and I also have autism I feel like it's becoming more of a celebrated and accepted thing would you agree well and this was something that I got some pushback from at the beginning I've always told Carter he has autism Mm -hmm. Carter you have autism he knows he has autism yeah he'll sometimes throw it around it's it's funny there was a time in third grade he didn't want to do the assignment. And mm-hmm. his third grade teacher goes, he goes, I can't do this. I have autism. And she was like, what? She was, do you even know what that is? And he goes, yes. It means my brain works differently. Mm. And she goes, well, that is actually what that is. But it has nothing to do with what you're doing. Do your work. Yeah. Um, and Not letting him use it as a uh, inhibitor. Well, I've always said it. it my whole feeling of it is it's an explanation mm-hmm. why he needs to do things, di- why he might process things differently and why you might need to handle it differently. It is not an excuse for crappy behavior mm. because it's not. Yeah. Do I want him to be in an EBD room? He could have autism and be in an EBD room. But they are not, they don't mean the same thing. Yeah. It's not an excuse. You, you don't, it's not a get out of jail free card to yeah. be, be a jerk or to, fly off the handle you yeah. still have to function yeah. and if you want to and I'm, I'm lucky because he is high functioning mm-hmm. so he is does have the ability to to process all of that there's some people who they just can't mm-hmm. um, but he was able because we did get such an early start mm-hmm. and that's where the early intervention comes in he went from a moderate diagnosis to a mild mm-hmm. and part of that was the earlier you can you can model those behaviors that's the mm-hmm. society's behaviors yeah the 
it's harder to unlearn something than to learn something. Absolutely. What would so. you say to um, a parent or somebody who has another person in their life with autism? And I would say specifically, what would you say to a, a parent? Because you are a parent and that's a major role in your life. Who has a child that's either been newly diagnosed or they are dealing with it. What would you say to them in terms of giving them advice and how to make the best of what is sometimes a difficult situation, but look at it through the eyes that you do, which I think is so amazing, of looking at it as a superpower and something to be celebrated. I'd say embrace it. I'd see, what I've seen a lot in now my my, my job and stuff is a lot of denial, mm -hmm. and that doesn't help anybody. Remove Certainly, the shame around it. The shame or just the, the your own, your own hang-ups on, just saying, yeah, my kid has autism. My right. kid has autism. You it need is to get not, over it, not yeah, your kid. You need to get over it. It is not a dirty word. Mm -hmm. That's why we just say it. If, if you whisper it or say, oh, it's it's not as bad as you think, you're saying there's something bad here. You're you're modeling the behavior that you should have shame and yes. you shouldn't. And it, it shouldn't. I don't think it's a disorder. I think it is a difference. Mm -hmm. But disorder has a negative connotation. I know words are just words, whatever. Same thing with, you know, I think anytime a word, though, becomes something that is minimizing or hurtful, I agree, you shouldn't shouldn't use it. And yeah. in this case, I don't ever want autism to be that word. I, I don't behind his back, oh, he has autism. This is Carter, he has autism. He has autism, mm -hmm. okay? So yeah. when he's doing these funky things that you're like, oh, that's weird. Mm -hmm. And there are some things can be a little weird, and you're like, that's that's a little weird. Okay? It is what it is. And it's amazing. The minute you tell people, hey, he processes this differently, instead of all these, it, it is the coolest thing with schools being having a lot more inclusion. Mm -hmm. I know there are downsides. I know your precious little Susie who's so smart and she's, now the class is being taken down, blah, 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 by having to slow down. I understand those things and there is some truth to it. But the compassion I've seen, the difference, people don't make fun of Carter they might you know kids make fun of kids mm -hmm. um but he's Carter mm -hmm. he's not like and and we have friends club in our classroom these kids who spend their extra time their recess to come down and help out our class oh, they help wonderful. us go to lunch uh, when we go through the lunchroom high fives and hugs they're th there's this this sense of of compassion and inclusion and it's no longer those weird kids or yeah. that kid who's different and the pointing everybody's different mm -hmm. everybody needs something different yeah. I don't care if you're this actually was it's the same thing like um, three years ago we were watching TV and there was a guy in a wheelchair and Carter goes and it was something he must have heard at school he goes oh that kid has special needs and I said what and he's like oh he's so totally special needs and I said Carter your special needs and the look on his face, he goes, what? And I just died laughing. I was like, Carter, you're special needs. Why are you saying that like a negative thing? He's like, how am I special needs? And I said, well, you go out to class for math and reading. And he goes, well, yeah, that's because I need extra help. And I said, uh-huh, Yeah. that's your special need. Right. You have a need mm -hmm. for extra help. Somebody who breaks their leg might need to take the elevator or somebody hold their books because they have a special need. Mm -hmm. When you use it as a negative thing, you've made it a negative thing. Yeah. Everybody needs something. Yeah. He's like, oh, is that? He's like, is that why you take medicine, mommy? Said, yes, that is my special need. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a special need. Yes. Don't, it's not an insult. Why are you making it an insult? That's so true. I, I love that perspective, and I think you're such a strong woman and mother, and the way that you've taken this perspective, I think, is something so to be celebrated because you've taken something that as we just talked about, so many people hide it in the cupboard and whisper and don't want to acknowledge it and you've just shone a light on it and said, we're gonna make it beautiful, we're gonna see it for what it is and I think that's really amazing. Well, I told him I was coming here to talk about this and he's like, you wouldn't be there if it wasn't for me. <laughs> I was like, let's not get all excited, honey. I brought you into this world, okay? I, I it's take because you of out. me. <laughs> my mother used to say It that is to my me. genetics, <laughs> damn it. No. Um, oh, well, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story, being so open and honest. I just love you and think you're amazing. Well, thank you for inviting me. This was fun. You're welcome. Did you have a good time? No, because I hate talking <laughs> about me. <laughs> 
Well, I'm glad you came. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>